1: Welcome to another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors. I'm your host, Dr. Barbara Hales. Today we have an exciting episode with Dr. Mike Grewey. Telemedicine has witnessed a remarkable explosion in growth in 2020, both in adoption, by medical practices, and in the number of patients becoming comfortable with receiving medical care through virtual visits. The question now is, what will telemedicine be like for patients in the post-pandemic world? Will patients insist their doctors give them accessible convenient video visits? Dr. Michael Grewey is a national expert on the adoption of telemedicine in America. He is an orthopedic surgeon and the founder of two telemedicine platforms, OrthoLive and Spring Health Live. Dr. Grewey's team has adapted the two platforms during 2020 to a rapidly changing marketplace for telemedicine. He is here today to share his insights and what big changes he thinks will affect the telemedicine industry during the next few years. Welcome to the show, Mike.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Barbara. It's great to be here. I appreciate you having me.
1: Tell me something, Mike. What was it like creating and growing two different telemedicine platforms, OrthoLive and Spring Health Live, and why would you need two of them?
0: That's a good question. So we actually built OrthoLive for orthopedic surgeons, for physical therapists and people involved in the orthopedic space. So musculoskeletal health was kind of like my primary focus. since I'm an orthopedic surgeon, and so it really was natural for me. And we wanted to make sure that the platform really worked well And so I used it in in a space I was familiar with. And then once we had really honed the platform and had it ready for surgeons in this really efficient way, then we created Spring Health Live that did a lot of the same things, but was able to be marketed to other specialties. So we we kind of focused on perfecting it and then did something a little bit different that was marketable for other other places.
1: Okay, that's great. Now, you said that you marketed them. How did you let everybody know about it? What did you do that made you
0: successful in marketing? Yeah, marketing is, uh, is interesting, especially in technology, as I'm sure you're aware. Of. You know, we used LinkedIn, we used Facebook, we worked through our existing clients, so um, a lot of it was testimonials. We used our website, we wrote blogs, and we did video blogs and things like that. And that really helped to sort of drive traffic to our sites, uh, that was a huge component of our success. We also um, have a paid marketing firm that we work with as well and insight marketing is kind of who we use they're, they're a great team and they were able to kind of work with us and do different things like webinars and, and things that reached out to the audience that was looking for us. And we've also, um, you know, done a lot of work with just, you know, different things like magazines, even we were um, found an entrepreneur. Um, so that was, uh, that was a really big opportunity for us as well. And so those are kind of the, the compilation of things we we did, but, a lot of it was inbound. And then, of course, we have a sales team as well that sort of was, you know, letting people know about us as well.
1: What would you say your biggest marketing challenge was?
0: Well, as a small startup company, when you're talking about other companies that are much larger, the hardest thing is is getting the word out to the people that need to hear your message. And so reaching clients that needed our telemedicine product were probably the, the, the most that was the most challenging thing. We had to find out how to get to people that were the CEOs and presidents of large groups out there that could use our telemedicine platform. And so we found that, you know, education was a great way to do that. But um, that was probably our biggest hurdle was, was like, okay, how how do we get to these people? And, and, you know, how do they find our information valuable?
1: Yes, of course. And I'm sure LinkedIn did help a lot. Absolutely. Um, What are the major changes you observed in the adoption of telemedicine during the pandemic?
0: Well, we really saw telemedicine take off. We had a good steady um, growth in 2020. And what happened over the course of 2016 to 2020 is we we constantly saw growth in telemedicine. We probably were seeing at least a, you know, 30 to 40% growth of our product year over year. And that was great. We had a, a nice thing going and there wasn't a lot of competition in the marketplace. At that point when the pandemic hit, there was a flood of telemedicine products and there was also sort of a, a flood of people that needed our product. And so we just saw everything increase from you know, demand to the, the competition out there as well. So it was, a, it was a very interesting time period. We grew probably 12 times over in a span of a, a month or two. And, um, it was, it was, uh, all hands on deck trying to make sure that we uh, were able to serve our customers.
1: Yeah. Well, the, you know, the pandemic obviously was a big tragedy. It was a boon for you guys.
0: Yeah. It was a really sad event that ultimately had a silver lining for us. And, um, you know, we're still, um, trying to help people. I think the nice thing is that we were able to help people in the midst of a, a crisis and, you know, ultimately, that's what you, you know, design and build a product to be able to do is to help other people. At least that's why I think where where people's hearts should be when they're designing something. And um, that was what was really gratifying for us. We were able to help in a time of need.
1: Absolutely. How will telemedicine affect how doctors practice medicine moving forward?
0: It's going to really change things because patients obviously are the drivers of, of healthcare, and they have recognized this to be An awesome opportunity for them to, you know, have a little more convenience, especially in certain areas of medicine where, you know, typically like the follow-up was done maybe over the phone or maybe they were seen in office, but uh, there's so much convenience now and doctors know it can be done too. So now doctors, I think are, are becoming a little more efficient with it. And they're also seeing the convenience and the smiles on the patient's faces when they get to be seen via telemedicine and get to do that from the comfort of their own home. So I think everyone's realizing it's a it's a great opportunity for both parties, the physician side, the, the therapist side, the caregiver side, and the patient. So because it works for both parties, it's going to be used in the future.
1: Could you walk us through what a video visit would be like? And what a doctor can and cannot accomplish during this visit, I, I would imagine feeling to see if there's a fracture would be a little challenging.
0: <laughs> that's right. I mean, there's a, that's a great question. So, you know, if, if you're preparing for your first video visit, probably the most important thing to do is, you know, kind of get your, you know, your computer or your, your uh, phone ready just by checking to make sure that you can enter into whatever virtual conference room your physician is having you visit. And that's good to start with. When the visit starts, you know, the physician usually will ask a few things. You know, a lot of it is focused around the history, right? Because just as you said, Barbara, we can't really feel and touch and um, do the things that we normally can do with a physical exam that help us. But every good physician knows that a history provides you about 80 to 90% of what you need to know about that particular patient's problem. And many times the history alone gives you the diagnosis. It's very obvious based on the history. So the doctor will probably go into a lot of detail about, you know, how things have been feeling and and what's happening. And then they will usually do a, a, a basic exam. So for me as an orthopedist, I usually do some range of motion work. I can tell a lot about that strength and things like that. And then I'll check the nerves to make sure that the nerves are working. The way I do that is just asking them to do Specific function. So if it's the upper extremity, I might say, you know, give me a thumbs up. Let me see an okay sign. Spread your fingers out really wide. That helps me to know that that patient is neurologically doing well. So after that basic exam, the doctor usually will come to a conclusion about what's going on. And sometimes the doctor just has to go through imaging follow up or laboratory results with you. And that's a really basic, easy call because you don't need the physical exam at that point. We go straight into what the results were on a specific test, and so there's a lot of different avenues that it can go, but ultimately the doctor will usually wrap up, just like they will um, in the office, with a summary of the findings, what he or she thinks is going on, and then a treatment plan, and so you're getting a very similar feel to what's happening in the office, it's just a little less of the physical exam side, and obviously there are some limitations, I think you you asked about some of the limitations, and and um, most of us know that you know video visits are really an adjunct not a replacement. You know, they're used to try to support what we're doing, not to replace what we're doing. I think that's really important and, and kind of what telemedicine is geared for so It's really there to help the physician and the patient.
1: Well, we see from all aspects that it is the patient that drives the demand in medicine. Are you seeing that patients are switching away from doctors who won't make that available to them?
0: Yeah, that's happening pretty frequently, actually, and if you look at the success that companies like Teladoc and Doctor on Demand are having, these are people who normally would have visited their primary care doctor, they normally would have visited their pediatrician, and now because of the the atmosphere, they're turning to other solutions, solutions that are available over the internet or over their phone. And so uh, traditional doctors who aren't offering telemedicine are losing out on patients. And, and, and it's something that we talk about when we visit physicians. We say, you know, to get on to, you know, the, the future of where your practice is going to go, you're going to need to have telemedicine in your practice so that you don't get left behind.
1: Do you think that for other options like Zoom or FaceTime, they will be able to compensate for not having a traditional telehealth system?
0: Well, I think so. The, the, one of the issues with Zoom and FaceTime is that there's, there's not HIPAA compliance, which is a, a very important thing in today's healthcare landscape. And for people that aren't familiar with HIPAA, it's basically a, a group of laws that protect the patient. They protect the patient in terms of their privacy. And so that is a super important thing, especially as we talk about data privacy and there's there's healthcare privacy, right? You don't want to know, have everyone know about what's going on with your health. So it's super important. And unfortunately, FaceTime and Zoom don't provide the type of security that's needed for, you know, patient privacy. And Zoom particularly has had a lot of issues um, around, you know, security. And so um, they do have a HIPAA compliant system, but uh, it is uh, it is one of these things. You've, we've got to be very careful. And as a patient, you want to know what system your provider is using.
1: Do you think that doctors will be able to practice telemedicine across state lines in the post-pandemic world, like writing prescriptions, for instance?
0: Right. That's a great question. And I just got off the uh, phone with a patient uh, who's from Texas. And uh, what's wonderful right now is that I'm able to take care of that particular patient But, you know, in the future, we don't know whether that's going to exist or continue to be the law and the norm in the country. But what we have seen from Seema Verma, who's in charge of the CMS um, and and has has really come out to speak on behalf of telemedicine in the past, she said, you know, I can't really imagine going back at this point in time, which is great to hear. Right. It, It means that the U.S. government feels that telemedicine is going to play a huge role in the future. And one of those laws is being able to practice across state lines. And it does help us, especially in rural areas, being able to access you know, areas that are underserved by being able to practice across state lines and, and across borders. So I, I think it's, it only makes sense if we continue to make sure that telemedicine is available across state lines.
1: Plus, it's also a boon to those who are caregivers and people who are bedbidden and can't get out of bed to see a doctor in any other way.
0: A hundred percent. That is so important right now. There's There are a lot of patients in nursing facilities or at their homes who can't really get out. And especially right now, we're trying to protect the most frail of our population and it's just such a good way of being able to see and take care of those patients and keep them safe that we we just need to be able to continue to do this. It's just so important.
1: Are your two telemedicine platforms user-friendly for the doctors too? Or was the focus only on the patient experience when you designed them?
0: Well that's a great question. I was sort of I, I am I'm a physician, right? So I was like it has to work for the physicians and I, you know, I I see a lot of patients during the day. But if it wasn't going to work for the physicians, I knew it wasn't going to be adopted. And so it's so important for me to make sure that it was easy on the patient side, but also easy on the physician side. So it's really like a one-click entry for physicians into this you know, virtual examination. And I, I thought that that has to happen. We also need to know like when is the patient there. So we have a little green icon that flashes for the physicians. So it was, it was really the caregiver, the, the provider needed to have this just easy access to and in order to make telemedicine work, you have to make it work for both parties. So, yeah, we, we really focused on that with our two platforms.
1: Does your platform allow for uh, apps that are currently third-party, like doing EKGs on iWatches, for instance, or Fitbit data?
0: Yeah, actually, that's uh, something that we're doing. We're currently working with a, another group called CuraGuard. And CuraGuard has like a bunch of different wearables that they work with. So we we actually integrate with, you know, all of these different devices because we work with this company and so a lot of them actually, you know, we have pulse oximetry, we can get data from, we can do the EKGs, we can do the Fitbit data. All of that kind of gets synced up and so it's um it's a great great thing and you know, it's sort of the next step is like how do we remote monitor patients? How can we make sure that patients are safe? And all these systems they have little alarms that will go off if someone's not trending in the right direction. So then the physicians are notified inside these practices that we work with. So it's just, um, that remote monitoring piece is just awesome. And it's, it's going to be the future of healthcare.
1: Absolutely. It is definitely awesome. And the last question that I have for you is regarding your two teller platforms, are they interfaced with digital health records?
0: So yes, we integrate actually with electronic health records. And and, um, we work with a group that basically interfaces with all of the health records. They're a very large national company. And so each of our companies, they they work specifically with different EHRs. We can integrate with 99.9% of the EHR systems out there. And interoperability and being able to communicate on patients' healthcare is critically important, as you're aware, Barbara. So we're we're really focused on making sure that all that communication happens, that everything goes back and forth between systems. So very, very important. And and um, I, I think it's one of the main things that we offer that other platforms do not.
1: Yes, well, that's definitely key. After a doctor has been speaking with a patient for any length of time, they don't want to have to then close that out and go into the, you know, telehealth records and have to then put everything in.
0: Right. And and I think having, you know, two places of documentation is just silly. That's where you don't want to have that happen, for, especially as a physician. You think, oh, please, if, if I could just do things one time, you know, <laughs> that would be great. If you if you end up doing it, you know, two or three times over, that's really when you start getting frustrated. So it was something that was really important for me. And I was like, well, we, we're definitely going to make sure we're interoperable amongst EHR systems. That, that was critical.
1: Well, it's really been... Uh a pleasure speaking with you today. How can our listeners reach you if they have more questions?
0: Oh, thanks so much, Barbara. It's great to be here too. And um, you, can, you can actually reach us at www.ortholive.com or www.springhealthlive.com. And of course, you can email us at info at ortholive.com as well if you want to, you know, get in touch with someone right away.
1: Are there any last minute tips that you'd like to leave us with?
0: Um, No, I think I would just say to everybody out there that, you know, telehealth is really, it's the future. I think there's a lot of great opportunity to be able to see your patients via telemedicine and be able to see your doctor via telemedicine. And there's there's just, um, there's so many positives with telemedicine, what it's offering for patients and physicians. So it's going to be a good thing in the future.
1: Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been another episode of Marketing Tips for Doctors with your host,